Hello everyone and welcome to the Actors Podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. I'm Rebecca Hendren, the Director of Programming for Actus, and I'm going to be your host for today's show, which is part of our Talking CDI series. In every episode of this series, I'll be discussing CDI topics with guests, including members of the Actus Advisory Board or other experienced CDI leaders from around the country to discuss strategic topics related to the state of the industry, where CDI is going, or opportunities for advancement. Today we have a very special episode as we celebrate the fact that Actus is nearing an important anniversary. On October 1st, Actus turns 15, coincidentally, as does the MSDRG system. And today I'm joined by two guests who will help me look back at the last 15 years, as well as look forward to where CDI is going. Plus, we'll have a review of the 2023 IPPS changes. So my special guests today are Laurie Prescott and Tamara Hicks. Laurie Prescott, RN, MSN, CCDS, CCDSO, CDIP, CRC, is the Interim Director of Actus, as well as the Director of CDI Education for HC Pro. And Tamara Hicks, RN, CCS, CCDS, CCDSO, is the Director of Clinical Documentation Excellence at Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And you can read all of their bios with the show notes. Welcome to the show, Laurie and Tamara. Hey, thanks for having us. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for joining me for this auspicious occasion. Uh, Before we talk about the upcoming anniversary, Laurie is going to be giving us some information to share about the changes coming for the 2023 IPPS. And as this is a podcast, we don't have slides to view on the screen in front of you right now, but Laurie has made information available for your reference, and you can find a copy in the show notes for today's program. Simply visit actus.org select the Actus podcast from the resources navigation bar at the top, and then click on the link for today's program. And once there, you will see those resources. We also included them, a link to those notes, in the reminder for this program, so the reminder email that you received. So now to get us started, Laurie, can you share what joys awaited you when you unpacked the 2023 IPPS final rule? (laughs) Well, there's always something joyous in those 2,000 pages, Um, but what I thought I'd talk about today are some of the new codes that are are going to be introduced in October 1st, which is literally about a week away, Um, and I I think um, sometimes we focus on things like what is going to be a CC, what is going to be an MCC, what are the changes to quality, and all of that is in the final rule, but I thought I would just talk about those new codes. So if you want a little piece of trivia, Um, 2023 introduced 1,179 new codes. Um, A lot of them are codes related to injuries that happen while riding an electronic bicycle. I'm not going to talk about those today, but uh, those of you that are looking at records where people are hurting themselves on electric bicycles, there are a lot of um, external cause codes related to that. I think 
over 100 are related to that. Um, but I'm going to go through some of the ones that I thought may appear in your, your CDI reviews. Um, but you'll see in those materials, it breaks down the number of codes by chapter within the code book. And that might cue you in when you look at that slide as to where you might want to investigate what those new codes are and, and bring in a, a little more in-depth look than I can cover today. But um, one of the first group of codings is a new group of codes for hemolytic uremic syndrome, or HUS. Um, this is really common in, um, not really common, but it's a common diagnosis that you see in neonates. But there's four new codes that uh, fall to the D59 code grouping um, for hemolytic uremic syndrome, unspecified infection-associated HUS, hereditary HUS and other specified um, hemolytic syndrome. Um, these map to a variety of DRGs, um, some related to neonates and also DRGs 811, red blood cell disorders with, uh, with and without MCC. And there's also HIV with or without other related condition where it can fall. The big thing about these, I don't think these are codes that people are going to this is not a condition that people see in the chart on a regular basis, but the, the interesting thing that I found with these codes from the D59 code category is a change in sequencing that you're going to see within the coding guidelines. The coding guidelines actually specifically say that if HUS and sepsis are present, the HUS would be sequenced first, the sepsis would be second. That's a little odd. Um, that kind of contradicts most sequencing guidance that we get with um, sepsis. And it also is going to be sequenced that way if it's an HIV-related illness. The HUS would be sequenced first. The H HIV would be sequenced second. So it's more of a heads up about the sequencing related to those new codes than the new codes themselves, um, because that's not something you're going to see in a great number of charts. I just found it interesting. Um, and, you know, people have asked me, why are they being sequenced that way? And my standard answer is, I wasn't invited to the party. So I can't necessarily explain their rationale for that. There's also um, an expanded grouping for von Willebrand's disease. Um, these codes do provide a CC as a secondary diagnosis, but they now break out by the type. So type 1, type 2A, type 2B, 2M, and 2N. You also have codes for unspecified, type 3, and acquired von Willebrand's. Um, again, um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time breaking down what those different types mean. There is a, a slide uh, that I produced with you that kind of breaks it down. They all have the same value as a secondary diagnosis. They all provide a CC. Um, but when I see um, CMS start to break out codes by different types or different grades of severity, that usually tells me they're trying to get information and statistics related to the more severe um, versions of those conditions. And that likely means in the future, you're going to see those valued differently in risk adjustment or as a secondary di diagnosis. So again, it's sort of a heads up. Von Willebrand is not a disease that we see that frequently in the records. But um, if you're working with that population, um, you know, if you're in a hemonc 
condition um, where you're seeing uh, patients that may be being treated for it, this is just a clue that those codes have become a little more specific. And you might want to work with your physicians to make sure that they're, they're also giving you the specific type of von Willebrand. And again, that varies from type 1 through type 3. A big change that um, kind of caught me by surprise, but it does make complete sense, is that uh, previously acidosis, um, not otherwise specified, lactic acidosis, metabolic acidosis, and respiratory acidosis, all reported to the same code, E87.2. Um, those codes have been expanded. Um, E87.29 other acidosis also includes as inclusion terms respiratory acidosis not otherwise specified so these are um, more specific acidosis codes but the big issue with this which um, again i understand why they did it but i think it's going to catch a few people by surprise is Respiratory acidosis is related to respiratory failure. We could do a whole lecture on that. But J96.0, acute respiratory failure, the J, J96.02 code within that code category, which represents acute respiratory failure with hypercapnia, now has an inclusion term, acute respiratory acidosis. So if your physician is documenting acute respiratory acidosis in the record, that is going to bring you to the code representing acute respiratory failure. In addition to that, if the physician documents chronic respiratory acidosis, that is now going to map to the J96.12 code, chronic respiratory failure with hypercapnia. So that's kind of a surprising kind of switch up there um, that when your physician is saying respiratory acidosis, that your provider should be clearly stating whether this is acute or chronic so that we can get to those respiratory failure codes that would appropriately match that. Again, if the physician just says respiratory acidosis and does not give that specificity of acute or chronic, it's going to map to E87.29 other acidosis. So if you want to uh, capture that severity boost with the respiratory failure, we're going to need that acute or chronic mixed in. And the other big change is your codes for dementia have been further differentiated, especially dementia with behavioral disturbances. So where we had one code in the F01.5 category, the F02.8 category of dementia and diseases classified elsewhere, and the F03.9 category of unspecified dementia, when we were speaking about with a behavioral disturbance, that went to one code with that broad umbrella of behavioral disturbance. Now the codes break down specifically to the type of behavioral disturbance that you see. So for example, if we're looking at vascular dementia, F01.4 is vascular dementia unspecified severity without behavioral disturbance. But then the codes get very specific, vascular dementia with agitation, 
and another code for with other behavioral disturbance, an another new code for with psychotic disturbance, and another code with mood disturbance, and the last code is with anxiety. So we can't just ask for behavioral disturbance anymore. The physician has to get very specific as to the type of disturbance that that is to get to those codes. A CC is assigned for code descriptions of mild, moderate, or severe dementia that include the descriptors of with agitation, with other behavioral disturbance, with psychotic disturbance, with mood disturbance, and with anxiety. So the number of codes for dementia has expanded. Um, and to capture that severity, um, your physician has to be very specific. If you look at the tabular list, it does break down and define what they would consider to be um, with agitation, with psychotic disturbance, mood and anxiety. So you can get some descriptors as to uh, how, uh, when to query for what type of behavior. Another cool new code is I-20.2 refractory angina pectoris. This provides a CC as a secondary diagnosis. And it's for those occasions when the patient is demonstrating a refractory angina, which describes the occurrence of frequent angina attacks that are uncontrolled by um, optimal drug therapy. So this is a patient where we, we really can't control it and the attacks are significantly limiting the patient's uh, daily activity. That's gonna give you a CC as a secondary diagnosis. So that's a brand new code. Um, Another one to think about is your codes for ventricular tachycardia have expanded. These do provide a, sec a CC as a secondary diagnosis. We now have I-47.20 for ventricular tach unspecified. I-47.21 is a new code for, for torsades to point, and I-47.29 is a new code for other ventricular tachycardia. So they've just expanded those codes out, and they'll all still give you a CC as a secondary diagnosis. Another cool one, I get excited when I see cool codes, I'm a geek, um, is J95.87. It's a new code for transfusion-associated dyspnea. Um, this uh, code um, they created uh, to kind of assist with those patients that are demonstrating dyspnea related to a transfusion, but it's not as complex or severe as what you would see with transfusion-associated circulatory overload, TACO, or transfusion-related acute lung injury trolley. So it's that patient that's demonstrating a reaction to the transfusion with dyspnea, but is not to the point of severity that we would put them in the TACO or trolley um, category. Another cool new code, K76.82 is a new code for hepatic encephalopathy. Now previously, hepatic encephalopathy went to your liver failure codes. Now K76.82 um, will classify for that documentation of hepatic encephalopathy. This does not give you a CC or an MCC as a secondary diagnosis, but the specific instruction under this code is to code also the underlying liver disease. So you report the hepatic encephalopathy, and then if they are also demonstrating an acute hepatic failure, um, you would report that as well. And those codes that you can report are without coma. There's an excludes one for acute hepatic failure 
with coma. And I think in that place, what they're thinking is the hepatic encephalopathy would be inherent to the coma that would accompany the hepatic failure. So this, so you can report case 76.82, hepatic encephalopathy with liver failure without coma. So it's not gonna, it's not gonna change the breakdown or the level of severity in any way, but the code is actually gonna explain what's going on with the patient, I think a little better. Almost done, Rebecca. I think I've got two more to go. Um, M96.A code category offers you codes related to fractures associated with chest compression. So these are going to be fractures of the sternum, of one rib, of multiple ribs, and flail chest, and other fracture associated with chest compression in CPR. I think this is a big one because this does not go to an injury code that would um, trigger a hack. These go to codes within, within the M96 code category. So just pay attention to those patients that have had CPR. Um, if they do have fractured, fractured uh, bones, ribs, or sternum related to that, make sure your physician is linking that to the CPR to allow those M96 codes to be assigned, and that's not going to trigger a hack like a fractured bone would. So um, that's the last new code. And if you look at this slide deck, um, I do have um, a link to the IPPS final rule so that you can dive deeper into the tables within it. There are tables related to the MSDRG assignments, tables related to new MCC, new CC captures, but it also tells you what codes have been removed and what those new codes are. And the best thing to do with the change, change of seasons is keep yourself informed. So just a quick little summary so that people can start thinking about October 1st because these new codes will be born on that day. So we'll have to start reporting them. Um, I think, um, you know, what's interesting is I was looking at these and I'm going to try to transition right into our next conversation is um, how the codes I think are expanding in specificity related to some of these conditions. I always look at it and think a lot of the changes that we're seeing in the code set, a lot of the questions that we see written in coding clinic about how to interpret rules, I read the questions and I'm like, you know, these are a result of CDI um, and what the questions that we're bringing to the table about making sure that we're capturing these conditions effectively. I think that we as CDIs over the last uh, decade or so have been actually influencing some of the changes within the ICD-10 code set. And I think we're getting a little more proactive in that with groups like our regulatory committee at Actus and other things to try to drive change so that the data that we're collecting is solid and reliable. So that's, to me, an exciting piece about what we're doing is in CDI. So hopefully that gives you a transition, Rebecca, to our next conversation. It does. It really is an exciting time in, in CDI. And I, I'm glad you noted the October 1st date because that is auspicious for not only the changes <laughs> you just talked about, but it's because Actus is turning 15 on that date. Uh, Tamara, you have been involved with Actus since the very beginning. And so I wanted to ask you, um, you know, how has your program changed since those early days when you first joined Actus to, to what you have now? Well, gosh, how has it not changed? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and and our program was actually born eight years before Aptus. So I w- I'd been doing this for a little while before Aptus was born. Um, in the early days, we were reviewing paper charts on the nursing units. We put paper queries in the charts. Um, we had a part-time employee who entered our query information into an access database so that we could calculate our metrics. We reviewed only Medicare cases and we were very much financially driven. Uh, we would even highlight the words we wanted documented. <laughs> yes. Cause there were, there were no rules then. Right. It was, it was clearly the wild west. Um, we, uh, uh, it wasn't uncommon. Like I said, it wasn't uncommon for us to highlight the diagnosis we wanted. We put flags on the, on the pieces of paper. Um, so that the, that the providers would see them. And then fast forward a few years, we began to consider covering Medicaid cases like pediatrics. We were approached by quality and asked how we could help uh, with quality metrics like the mortality indices. Uh, we purchased the APR grouper from 3M and learned all we could about SOI and ROM. We also put into place a mortality review process that has undergone many, many, many updates and changes over the years. We also found ourselves needing a software platform to better meet our needs. After an implementation that didn't meet our needs, we found a solution that's brought us through to the present. We also began to review all payers. And today I can tell you that our our reviews are totally payer agnostic. We don't even look at the payer. And of course, we got rid of all the paper and got cool new electronic tools. Um, Today, we review not only cases that may have been opportunities for DRG optimization in the form of a CC or MCC or alternate principal diagnosis. We also review for the risk adjustment of the case as defined by Vizian or AHRQ. We also screen for hacks and PSIs and look for potential exclusion criteria. And of course, the team has grown. When I started in the programs, there were seven of us. Today, my department has 40 FTEs. Wow. Now, some of that's attrition from other hospitals that we've adopted, but um, we also grew our team to meet the needs that we were being asked you know, to do. And finally, we've started an outpatient CDI program. Goodness, it's already been seven years since we started that. Um, they review cases prospectively for HCCs in, in the ambulatory clinics. We've also become actively involved in appealing DRG downgrade denials. But the biggest change in CDI since I, the very early days is that CDI has finally been recognized as an essential function in health systems. I think that in the beginning, it was thought to be a a temporary solution, but now it's seen as something that's absolutely necessary. Yes. That is a very, very important change and one that that should be celebrated and noted. Mm -hmm. Laurie, Tamara is a true pioneer for CDI. Laurie, you've you've been equally involved in, in driving change, maybe not um, within Actus from the beginning quite like Tamara, but certainly in CDI. So what are your thoughts of the changes of the last 15 years since Actus has been in existence? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, I always tell people I started doing CDI back in the days of Florence Nightingale because we did pen and paper. And I actually had a physician the other day say to me, so did you like, 
write it in stone with a, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, no, we, we, we had, we had pens and we had paper, but it, it was compared to what we have now. Um, it's just seemed so quaint and sweet back then the way we did it. But when I think back to when I started, which was almost exactly to the day that Actus was born, I started in September of 2007 um, in CDI. I had to spend much of my time just explaining to people what I was doing, um, educating ironically both myself and the leaders within the organization and the physicians um, and other areas within the hospital, what I was doing, even even the people that had um, made, decided to have a CDI program, I think only the HIM director understood my purpose. I don't think anyone else at the facility did. Um, so I, ha I spent, I would say, probably the first year or so at my organization doing a, a horse and pony show, trying to describe my purpose for why I was there, what I was trying to do. It was purely financially driven back then. But I, I think back, a lot of the physicians looked at me very suspiciously. Um, I think they thought that I was looking for people that were breaking the rules or trying to get people in trouble for not effectively caring for their patients. Um, you know, that they, they looked at me like, they weren't exactly sure what I was doing there um, and they didn't exactly trust me. And that was probably the hardest part for me was getting over that bump to show them the value that I was bringing because I was a one person CDI department for about a year. So I was just this anomaly that nobody completely understand. But now when I'm talking to CDI directors or physician advisors, these people are the leaders within their organization. So exactly what uh, Tamara is saying the process of CDI is integrated throughout. It's a necessity within revenue cycle and within a hospital. We're collaborating with departments throughout the entire facility. Um, it's we've become essential to CDI function, and that's that's the piece that I find so exciting. And I I can't say enough about. The difference of this one chick with her pen and paper and her post-it notes trying to get physicians to document well, not even understanding myself what I was doing to what CDI is now. It's a true profession. And that's what I think we're celebrating with our anniversary. Absolutely. And I think uh, Actus has always been trying to recognize the professionalism of this. Uh, Tamara, you were around for the early days of Actus and you know, working with Brian Murphy and Melissa Varnavis when they were still getting the, the association up and running. Um, and you were on the very first advisory board. What were the early days of Actus like? Well, the early days of Actus to me were just very foundational. Uh, we were involved in things like finding, you know, creating the name of the organization, the logos that we would use, developing bylaws and, you know, kind of the things that we wanted to offer the community of CDI. There weren't any committees, no website, no boot camps, and none of that. I was just happy to meet people that were doing the same work I was doing. I mean, I felt like I was on a little island by myself. Um and I had a team of people doing this, but I didn't get, we didn't have any way to network with other people. We had no way, no, no ongoing education, none of that. So I was just happy to find others like myself. Um, 
And like I said, I'd been involved with CDI for about eight years at that point. So finding those others was just rare. And I was just grateful for that opportunity. The second time I served on the advisory board was very different uh, because things had matured so much by then. By then, we they were deep into all the issues that CDI is involved in today. And it's very, very different now. But in the early days, it was just very, very basic stuff that we were doing. Yeah. And Laurie, around about the same time, you must have been um, looking for resources yourself um, as a CDI professional. Do you remember when you first became aware of ACTUS as a professional association? I actually do. It's it's pretty funny. Um, the HIM director emailed me a link to the ACTUS blog. And this was very, it either was the fall of 2007 or early 2008. And she, she just sent me a link and she said, you might want to look at this. She didn't say anything about what it was. She just said, you might want to look at this. And I remember hitting that link and going, oh my God, my people, there are people that are doing, there are people that are doing what I'm doing. Um, because I truly did feel like I was on an island at that point. Um, I didn't know that actually there were entire programs like Tamara's. And the funny thing is, I was in North Carolina. Tamara, you were not far from me at that point, but it seemed like you were far away, you know. Um, but they helped, they helped me form my identity and they helped me um, understand and how I could expand out what I was doing and grow grow the program that I had. So it gave me tools to communicate with others. It gave me a, a sense of being um, that I didn't have before because I truly felt like I was alone in this world. So I found people like me. That was the joy. Um, that is a joy. Uh, Tamara, you, you've, you've overseen all these changes over the years. I mean, looking into your crystal ball, what do, you, what do you see coming down the road? Where do you think CDI is going? I, you know, I, I never thought it would grow to be what it is today, um, but I'm sure that outpatient CDI will continue to grow since population health depends on the work done to ensure HCC capture for ambulatory clinics, as well as the work that's done in observation and other outpatient settings. And I think CDI will continue to be important to the success of health systems as it relates to quality metrics, as well as financial outcomes. Absolutely. And Laurie, now you know, you've had a um, long journey from finding your people to now actually being uh, the director of Actus and having a driving force in where Actus will be going to support the profession over the next few years and on into the next 15. Um, where do you see Actus going and how do you think Actus is going to support and drive change in CDI? Well, I think because of how I first discovered Actus and what it meant to me, my goal for our association is to continue to work as that touchstone within the profession. So I want everyone who works in our role to think we're their people. Um, I think that Actus is that source that we work to connect. We work to help people network. If it wasn't for Actus, I wouldn't have met leaders like Tamara. Um, and learning from each other. Um, to me, there's nothing more fun, whether it's at our conference or our exchanges or on our forums, is to watch people share 
both their wins and their losses and their frustrations and their exciting points in growing their programs and growing their influence because we learn from each other. And I think that's how CDI has grown into a profession and not just a job. Um, and that's what Actus has brought to light. So I just see us continuing to do that, continuing to share new ideas, you know, new settings of care. I don't think a week goes by that we don't get a message from somebody and some alternative setting of care that we never would have dreamed would um, need work with clinical documentation integrity, um, you know, whether that's rehab or, um, ambulatory care centers or you, you name it. People are like, you know what? Documentation is important. It's like, yeah, they're my people. So I think, um, I think what I see is we're just going to grow and influence to not just those, in my mind, outpatient CDI is now one of those traditional areas of CDI, right? Um, I think we're going to grow beyond that. I think we're also going to be much more a driving force within the revenue cycle of a depart of, of an organization, um, which means that we can influence um, change. So that's the exciting piece for me. Um, and seeing how we're actually affecting care and resource allocation within the United States, because our work in population health, in making sure we're getting the right story told, is making sure that the data that's being used to make decisions about healthcare in the United States is accurate. So I just see us playing an even more important role in how healthcare is going to evolve in the United States. So I'm really proud to be part of it. Me too. And it is an exciting change. And this has been a very fun look back at what has happened over the past 15 years. And it's good. It's invigorating. It's exciting to think about what's coming up. So I appreciate so much, Laurie, you and Tamara taking the time to chat with me today. It's been a wonderful trip down memory lane a little bit and an insightful look into the future. Plus, you managed to squeeze in the IPPS updates for a quick overview. So I appreciate that. So thank you very much for a full podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Actus will continue to mark our 15-year anniversary with some fun events next week. So keep an eye out for the emails and you may even see some features with Actus members both new and old. When Actus began in October 2007, we couldn't have imagined that each CDI would make into ambulatory and outpatient areas. For those of you who focus on those settings or are looking to expand into them, we're busy in preparation for our final virtual conference of the year. Keep an eye out for agenda details for the December 6th through 8th Actus Online CDI Symposium for Outpatient Efforts. You can see all the speakers and topics covered by visiting our website. And while we're celebrating our 15th birthday, we're also gearing up for what will be the 15th time we meet in person for our National Actus Conference, which is occurring in the Windy City of Chicago next May the 8th through the 11th. Our theme for the 15th conference is flourish, and I think we can all agree that the profession of CD, CDI has certainly flourished over the past decade and a half, and I'm extremely optimistic about the flourishing and blooming we're going to see over the next decade and a half. Well, that brings us to the end of today's Actors Podcast episode. As always, if our audience has any questions about this topic, you can feel free to email the Actors team at actus-inquiries at simplifycompliance.com. 
We'll also put that address in today's show notes so you can grab it from there. We will be back in two weeks on Wednesday, October 12th, where Actors Associate Director Linnea Archibald will be discussing hospital-based CDI, which is part of the Leadership with Linnea series. You can listen to the show anytime on the Actors website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we discussed during today's episode, along with Laurie's IPPS presentation, will be available in the show notes. And as always, would appreciate if you take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by D. Yan Key. And our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazzar, both obtained from the Free Music Archive. If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests, please email us at actors-inquiries at simplifycompliance.com. Until next time, take care, everyone. <laughs>